0: Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the six hundred and fifty-first episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Welcome, welcome, everybody. Greg Peterson coming to you from the Urban Farm, and I have two—not one, but two—special guests here this evening, Janice. Hello, I like Janice. Being one of
1: special guest. Hi.
0: (laughs) All right. Janice is just a plain guest.
1: Oh, I'm a plain Mm -hmm. guest.
0: Where are you from, Janice?
1: Hello, everybody. I'm Janice Norton. I am the uh, general manager of the Urban Farm, and I am in Peoria, Arizona. And this is behind me is a picture of my yard, two piece and a pod orchard. Thanks.
0: And Raymond, we have Raymond Jess. Hello, Raymond. Good evening. Where are you coming in from? I'm
2: coming to you from wonderful, not quite downtown uh, Glendale, Arizona. And uh, this happens to be my office. And sorry, I don't have a green screen with the view. Uh, no, no, no,
0: you guys. That's okay. So w- do you have a farm name? I do. It's Morning Star Garden. Oh, very nice. Tonight, we're talking with Raymond Jess about thinking outside the box. But I think we're actually talking about thinking inside the box. From what we're going to be talking about, Raymond is the Urban Farm General Store leader, master gardener, and all-around fun guy. Ray has been gardening for more than two decades and loves to experiment with ways to plant in the ground and in various containers. Welcome, Raymond. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You bet. Thanks for being here. So we're just going to do a round robin. Janice is here, you're here, let's just chat. So the topic is thinking outside the box, when in reality, we're planting inside boxes, right?
2: That's my consideration.
0: So tell us about that. What What does that mean? <laughs> inside
2: the box, any kind of container that you can plant plants in, you just hit inside
0: the box. So, but we're not talking about pots. We're talking about something much bigger than pots, right? Oh my gosh, you can... Any size raised garden pots, you got
2: it. I for me, it's it's uh, my wicking beds, and I'm changing over one of them to a different type of bed from Colin Austin. He has a uh, a new way of doing things after wicking beds. It's the what Biota bed.
0: Ah, well. So so you said something curious, a wicking bed. So let's go there first. What is a wicking bed?
2: You know, a waking bed really (laughs) came about probably about 40, 45 years ago. Colin Austin had a calling in Africa to do some engineering because there was a a food famine going on at the time. And he came up with a concept kind of like in a a waking bed where he actually dug a trench, filled it with plastic, put uh, soil on the sides, filled it with... All kinds of loose twigs and plants. Hold
0: and let me jump in here. You said filled it with plastic. You mean lined it with plastic? Lined right? it with plastic. Yeah, okay. He filled the
2: hole with the plastic, and then yeah. Sorry about right. that.
0: No, no, no. That's uh, okay. It's all good. It's uh yeah. Basically, so you build some kind of garden bed, and then he and he lined it with plastic. Go. And then he put all
2: kinds of mulch stuff in there. You know, all the local weeds and whatever was around that was dying and and not good. Covered it with a little bit of soil, and when the rains came, it kind of like was a bog, and it would moisten from the bottom up through evaporation uh, and and so on.
0: So it's it, what's the term called here? I want to say percolation, but, but percolation is going down. What's the coming up capillary, term?
2: Capillary action.
0: There we go. Capillary it, action.
2: Like when you have a ball of water on a on a penny. If mm-hmm. you had another drop, it spills out and then it fills and looks like it's, you've got a whole cup of water, but it was really just a drop. Ah. That's, that's water molecules going from, you know, one point to another point to
0: another point. Got it. So we have something on the bottom of this bed. Well, that...
2: actually, yeah, on, on my beds, what I did is I have two four foot by eight foot beds that I filled with a pond liner. And then I put small rock you know, like river rock mm-hmm. in the bottom half, roughly. And then I put shade cloth over that. And then I filled it with planting medium. I also have a location where I can put water down into that bottom, the reservoir, and I have an overflow tube so that if it rains, it it doesn't split the bed like some people's used to be bed that I know.
1: Oh, don't be calling names out on that one. <laughs> <laughs>
2: But yeah, and they work phenomenally here in the, the desert. They are exceptional because you use 50 to 70 percent less water. You get very few weeds because the top is generally dry, except for in the morning. Mm-hmm. It's it's just a good way to go. And you mm-hmm. use less nutrients, you know, fertilize fertilization and so on. And so, forth. oh, right. Because you're not washed away. Yeah.
0: Say so, that again, because I talked over you.
2: <laughs> the fact that because you're not washing from the top down, you're not washing away the nutrients, the fertilizer that you add
0: into your garden. That's brilliant. So you mentioned something called a g-biota bed. So say a little bit more about that because it's something you're transitioning to.
2: It is, and and what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to figure out how to convert my current bed into a g-biota bed, which is basically the same idea that he had with that bog bed in in Africa, where you would put a liner down on top of a reservoir. Uh In my case, it'll still be the rocks, but I would put a pond liner down over the top of that, Uh and then put some kind of a mulch, you know, that'll degrade over time with soil on top of that and pump the water from the reservoir up through the planting medium and then drain back down into the reservoir. That way, you're using the same water over again. There will be less evaporation because it's not out into the open air. It's Mm -hmm. still under the bed. And it shouldn't get stagnant and smelly because it's recirculating every once a day or so.
0: Got it. Wow. And so that kind of resembles a garden bed that I stumbled across. Well, that we as a community stumbled across here in Phoenix called a Lear Garden. And I had one installed in my backyard and you recently came and got it. Tell us about that and how that all fits in.
2: (laughs) Well, the concept is very similar. The the Lear Garden is a a little bit more complex Mm -hmm. because his, his design incorporates fish into the reservoir. It incorporates mushrooms and all kinds of other things and more of breaking wood down into making soil. Both beds will be able to use worms, live worms, because, you know, it's not going to drown them. And I believe that they're going to work because the temperature is not going to get so hot because we're soaking the planting medium at least once a day. Mm, Right. So, you know, the Lear Garden is great. But if you have a wicking bed already, then this is something I'm trying to do to convert over.
0: Yeah, you can we can literally grow anything in our wicking beds, right? Oh, uh, you know, I would say yes. Uh, the things that I find that don't do
2: well are very large leaf plants, squashes, and and uh, things like that that require a lot of moisture for their leaves. The reason for that is the root ball of pretty much any plant in a in a waking bed is going to be probably no more than five to six inches in diameter, and it cannot soak up enough moisture. To support the the length of the leaf and the vine, mm-hmm. so you know, vining things don't do very well in, in a wicking bed. Other than that, I've grown tomatoes and all kinds of other wonderful things in, in my beds over the past couple of years. I started wicking beds probably in about 2016 when I became a master gardener. I learned that concept from one of my mentors. Well, very good.
0: You had something, Janice. I was
1: going to say you learned it from Cricket. A friend of ours,
0: yeah, Cricket Alder. He's a phenomenal been
2: on. master gardener.
0: Yeah, Crick has been on the podcast before.
1: Now, Greg Raymond has had in-ground gardening. He's got raised beds that are just like made out of brick. He's got raised beds that are made out of wood. He's got wicking beds. He's mm-hmm. got the GBO GBOTA bed. He's got troughs. He's got plenty of containers of all sizes. And he even built a garden for his wife that was a raised elevated bed. That was something that is her height so that she could use it. Oh, and that's what nice. they're using to create their starters right now. So I love the idea that you know, for this particular class that you were talking about thinking outside the box because Raymond will just try almost anything. If he can garden it, he's going to try it.
0: Yeah. So for for those of you that are on live, I just switched my background picture to my tower garden. So that's kind of thinking outside the box too. That's Mm -hmm. a, a tower garden is a, well, go to Google and search tower garden and you'll come up with all kinds of great ideas there. But it's a essentially it's a hydroponic growing system as well.
1: Raymond, what's been the most rewarding thing that you've grown, and what did you grow it in?
0: Yeah. I bet basil is one of. Besides
1: them. The, the the infamous onion.
0: <laughs> you know, I I agree
2: with Greg. Basil, probably. I have such a love for for that herb, and I have put it in my trough, and it has done beautifully because I'm using. Oyas as the water source.
0: Oh um, yeah, and and they do. Oh, you, I couldn't even get a laugh out of you on that one. Oh yeah, yeah oya. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so what's an oya?
2: The the oyas are are doing well, and I have now put uh, tomato plants in there, and will use oyas as the the water source for them as well. That way, I'm thinking I can forego the idea of splitting skin on tomatoes and and so on.
0: Oh. Oh, all right. So hold on. we got to take apart a couple of things here. First of all, what's an Oya? An Oya is a clay
2: pot. comes in various sizes. The, the size I use for my are probably about a gallon and a half or so.
0: Mm-hmm. And so they, it, it actually gets buried in the same container and it holds water?
2: It does. It's a bulb, basically, with a neck and a lid. And you buried it down into the soil. And it's porous enough. So it works kind of like osmosis. It, it brings the water out from the oya out into the roots of the, the plant about, depending on the size of the oya, mm-hmm. you know, anywhere from five to 18 inches or so as a radius. I'm doing that for not just my tomatoes, but my, uh, I have a pomegranate, a large planter. So I have had problems with splitting pomegranates. And so the remedies I'm going to put in or I have put an Oya in there.
0: Got it, so how is how does an Oya fix the problem of splitting fruit?
2: The fact that I'm not alternating watering and dry periods and mm-hmm. watering and dry periods, which in any kind of a, a hard skinned fruit will split it, mm-hmm. such as tomatoes and, and pomegranates and so on. The Oya gives a constant moisture level from the Oya outwards. And what really happens is the roots of the plant are drawn to the Oya, uh. so that they almost encapsulate the, the Oya so that they can pull in more of the uh, the moisture. So, and it, wow. keeps it keeps it at a constant level. It, to me, it's, it's uh, well, the Native Americans have been doing that for hundreds and hundreds of years. So, and I know it's been in the Middle East for thousands of years. Yeah. So it's a tried and true way to, to do things.
1: So I'm not going to make any age jokes here. You, Raymond and I are best <laughs> friends. So we've got lots of jokes going back and forth. But Ray, so you've tried multiple different sizes of voyas and in different types of containers and even in ground. What is your favorite of these? What, what do you learn? What can you share about those differences that you've figured out?
2: You know, it really depends on the size of your container. If, you know, I use them mainly in a pot kind of environment. Even my water trough, I consider it as a pot because it's six feet long and two feet tall and two feet wide. And the large oyas that I have give an 18-inch radius or 36-inch diameter, which pretty well covers the entire six-foot span of of the uh, trough. But if you're using smaller oyas, and they have various kinds, you can even just caps that fit on the end of plastic bottles that you can stick in a, a house plant mm. uh, so that you can still water your plants while you go away for a, a week or so. And that's one of the nice things I like about them is, you know, you're not watering every day or every other day, You or you fill your oil every four or five days and you're good to go.
1: Yes, this is good, especially when we keep pulling you away to do interesting things like our fruit tree program. Right. <laughs> So, so I
0: actually, hold on here one sec. I have a book here, I think. Oh, it's not there. Oh, there it is. Gardening with Less Water. We've had him on the podcast before. And I just happened to have his book, David Bainbridge. I so. And I think he talks about Oyas in his books and then putting a drip irrigation emitter in them. You know, you have a lady that works, that has been on the lot um, she's
1: been on the podcast and on
2: podcast that uh-huh. the idea of yes that uh, has a, a reservoir with uh, smaller oyas connected mm-hmm. uh, with the drip line and i'm using those in in uh, my flower bed on the west side so that uh, it keeps the uh, the plants nice and happy and healthy
1: i am copying david bainbridge's podcast and i am putting it in the chat room But for those of you who are listening later, this is episode 127 in our podcast.
0: Excellent. So So, go ahead, Janice.
1: (laughs) So what do you have growing in your gardens right now? And what methods are you using to start them or to grow them? Oh, my gosh.
2: I just gave up a lot of starts to the uh, citrus program. Uh, So that was tomatoes and cauliflower and
1: Peppers. Peppers
0: and so on and so forth. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, hold so, on, hold on, hold on. So, you're actually starting plant starts from seed.
2: I am. I wow. got seeds from the uh, Great American Seed Up. And, you know, if I have them, use them. <laughs> right. So I'm using my wife's starting bed and putting a four inch pots in there and putting the seeds in. And
0: it's a great place to, to start. Tell us about how you go about starting seeds because that can be. A bit challenging. This tower garden that I got, we actually buy started seeds because we haven't jumped in yet to start them. What do you do to, if you got a, you know, a simple setup, what's it look like and what do we do to get seeds started?
2: Well, you know, my my particular setup is I have some seed starting soil because it's a a lighter soil than a regular planting soil. I Generally, we'll try to soak my seeds overnight, which gives them kind of a little advance moistening to, to help soften them up to get them to grow. I just recently found out from the uh, gentleman at High Creations.
0: Uh, I was going to ask you if you were doing that.
2: That, yeah, <laughs> that if you put a uh, uh, in a pint of water, a drop of essence or a drop of soul, either one works yep. and soak them overnight and then put them into the, the whatever depth you need to in, in your pot to start them out. I start mine outside. I started them early this month. It, right now it's probably a little bit late for some things, but yeah. things, you know, cruciferous things like, you know, radishes and carrots and, you know, those kinds of things will probably do really well.
1: Okay, so wait, there's a lot of people that might be listening, or definitely we have people who are listening from different areas. So let's talk about the temperatures that you're doing this starts outdoors, because that's going to be applicable wherever. What what are right, temperatures still, are you doing your outside starts?
0: Right, because we're in Arizona. It's still warm here.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, the temperatures when I started the seeds were probably in the mid 80s, somewhere between 80 and 90 degrees, and they were outside. And the, the nights were cool enough that they actually got a chance to cool off and, and thrive.
0: So we're doing well on that. Nice. And Janice, I, w- I know you know more about this, the foliar drench from high creations that he mentioned, a drop in a pint of water. Tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about that, because I know you've been studying that.
1: Well, I was actually going to go reach for that. We have a... Into
0: the bushes. that's me. What? Right. <laughs> yeah, right. She reached into the bush. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, I, I have it. A... I don't have it here right now. Okay, so I've been really intrigued by foliar products for fruit trees. And so I've been doing a lot of research on that area because Raymond and I do this thing called cooperative gardening. And Raymond grows the vegetables and I grow the fruit, although there is some overlap and we help each other with different areas of projects, whatever we need. So especially since I have a truck and he doesn't. But it's been a lot of fun. And where my interest has been mostly has been in growing fruit trees. Using the products from High Creations, I was doing some experimenting in the yard and I learned that I really love these products. So when they said that we they can apply these different formulas to gardening, I wanted to learn more. So if you want to find out more about how to use different foliar products, there's a fulvic acid, a humic acid, a kelp emulsion, and a fish waste fertilizer. I love the responses that I'm getting in my fruit trees. Mm. And we created a garden nutrition plan to schedule with that a garden nutrition schedule along with that. Raymond, have you had a chance to do any of this on your gardens? I know you've been doing it on your fruit trees. What have you noticed?
2: I've noticed that the, the plants are growing much more healthy, much more green, and they're not very affected by the wind right
0: now that we have been getting. Right.
1: Yeah, so, we've got a desiccating wind lately.
0: So the foliar products, Janice, tell us a little bit about them. Okay. They they are what we're seeing. Let me just said sidestep you here a minute. I'm sorry. What we're seeing is dramatic results when people are foliar feeding and drench feeding their plants and their trees.
1: So to bring that the foliar program away from trees to the vegetables, basically what you would be doing is a, an application every week with the weather permitting. Mm-hmm. And what we mean by that is any type of foliar, no matter where you live, You it's best usually around the 70 to 75 degrees with a little leeway on either side of that because this is the temperature in which the trees can actually breathe and take in the nutrients. The first product that you would use in your combination of solution would be sole. Now, sole is is an acid that communicates with the plants and it'll help open the stomata, the breathing pores on the leaves and even parts of the bark. The plants then can take in the nutrients. When you combine that with essence, which is a kelp emulsion, it, that, there's bunches of great nutrition in there from this kelp emulsion, and including a natural growth hormone. The trees, the plants, they're all going to love this. Noble gills is a fish waste fertilizer, and that will help boost your, your budding, your flowering, and give your trees and plants the boost in that area. Now, for our fruit trees, we, Greg and I have been teaching this in our other classes. You're going to want to spray every two weeks, and there's this great combination. But our gardens grow faster. So we are going to do this once a week, but during the good weathers, you don't never foliar when it's super cold, never foliar when it's super hot. So you want to stay in that range of around 70 to 75 and never spray on the flowers because that will disrupt what the pollen is the process of the pollinization, and it can also affect your pollinators, your, your bugs and your bees and your birds and stuff. There's also some more stuff on that, and we're going to be talking about that, Greg, on Saturday when we talk about our nutrition program. So I invite anybody who's here or who listens to this and wants to know more about foliar feeding for either trees or plant gardens, join us on that class.
2: You know, Janice, here, one of the things you talked About earlier, and I had only been doing during the summer because during the summer we can't foliar feed because it's too hot. Uh, Is the drench. And according to your schedule now and the research that you have been doing, you're drenching once a month with heart. And so, could you tell us a little bit how heart affects the soil and and the microbes and so on? Or what? How does that? It's
1: like magic life for the soil. I love this. When you are using it for fruit trees, all you need is heart because you're using the trees take it in it's a little bit differently. The heart is a humic acid that builds this this ecosystem, this this condition in the soil where all the beneficial bioorganisms and microbes and all the other little stuff that's down there that we want. And fungi and everything will grow nicely and cooperatively, and the roots benefit from a good ecosystem because the roots actually connect to the microbi- mycorrhiza. The mycorrhiza starts eating the soil, and this back and forth, lovely relationship in the soil and in the plants and in the roots is just magnified. I get a little passionate about it. I love it. Yeah,
0: thank. <laughs> we need to. You know how we do the toe is connected to the. <laughs> big toe and the big toes connected to the, you know, we need to do one of those for,
1: for my soil sink. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, when you're gardening, you don't need to do it once a month. You're going to do it one to two applications a month. As soon as your crops are about four inches or larger. So if you have starter plants that are, that are going, then you can go ahead and put this in the soil. You're going to put a couple of things, either heart or one of the nutrients, either noble gills and essence or, heart and soul, the combination of both of them. So an acid and a nutrient, put those together and a cap of each in about a gallon of water. And you're going to pour that around all of the root zones of your plants. And your plants are going to be magnified. Just loving it.
2: That's what I did today. When I transplanted tomatoes, I watered them in with the essence and the heart. To fill in those those blank spaces, you know, when you transplant something. Mm-hmm. Might as well give it two two birds with one stone. Fill right. up the air spaces and give us some nutrition.
1: Exactly. I love that. And that's what we're we're expanding on. That's part of the urban farm nutrition program now, whether it's fruit trees or gardens. This is part of our nutrition program to increase the effectiveness of what we're growing and the health of what we're growing. Healthy soil, Greg
0: healthy soil absolutely and you know i really want to i don't want to step past what we're really talking about and that is feeding our plants probably the single biggest thing you can do besides feeding healthy soil and creating healthy soil is feeding your plants and the the foliar and the drench and the fertilizing this is a must do otherwise you know our plants aren't going to thrive it's just like if we don't feed ourselves we're not going to thrive.
1: Yeah. You don't know, want to take a moment. Sorry, Raymond. I stepped down a little bit. We have an audience right now. Y'all are listening. Put your questions in the chat room. Put your questions in the, in the Q and a, give us something to work with that is interesting to you. Let us answer your questions.
0: Yeah. And if, if you have a question listening on the podcast, you can send it to questions at urbanfarm.org.
1: Oh, I like that.
0: Yeah. you and were going to Raymond, say Raymond.
2: Oh, one of the things I was thinking about, you were talking about, you know, feeding plants, and I'm thinking the quality of what we put into our our gardens and into our soil. Huge. Uh, it's it makes the the difference between the taste of a store bought tomato and the taste of a homegrown tomato. Mm-hmm. They're you know they're both tomatoes, but the quality is totally different. And part of that is because one is grown with, with not just love, but with what you know to be good and healthy for your plants. And the other is mass produced and all they care about is getting it to the market.
1: You know, it's also the difference between an onion and an onion you can actually take a bite out of.
0: Oh my God. Okay. You have to tell this story, Janice. You've referenced it twice now.
1: I love this story. So for those of you who don't know, Raymond and I met several years ago, almost almost 18 years ago. <laughs> That's
0: more than several, girl. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, we, and he invited my husband and I over for dinner to have dinner with him and his wife. And he and I had been working together. And when I showed up, when we showed up at the door, grabbed my hand and just said, come, 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 come. And he brought me right through the house into the backyard. And I'm dragging. I'm didn't, And it was so fast. We just like barely had time to register that I was in his house. Go into the backyard. He brings me over to his garden. And this garden is a a garden made by retaining wall bricks placed up next to a wall. And he's got soil in it. And he's got all this green stuff growing out. And he reaches over and he grabs this one stock and he pulls out of the ground what I now recognize to be an onion. At the time, I didn't recognize the stock, but now, you know, I can see it. It's an onion. So he takes it into the kitchen. He washes it off, peels off the outer layer, washes a little more, hands it to me. And he says, take a bite.
0: Whoa, 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 hold time on out! Time out! Who in their right mind would take a bite of an onion? Right. <laughs> raymond's for those of you that are, are on audio only uh, raymond's pointing himself at
1: himself i'm like no way and, and i have befriended this man we've been friends for like two three years at this point i'm like sure yeah no
0: <laughs> no right?
1: seriously take a bite he says i'm like raymond that movie holes is make-believe nobody eats an onion straight he says janice take a bite and so I took a bite of this onion because at this point, I really trust him. I take a bite of this onion, like an apple. I put it in my mouth and I just dig in and I take this bite and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to do this. And I took a bite and I was, I was transfixed. I mean, that was the absolutely most onion flavor I had ever had. And it was delicious. Wow. It was so just the, ma- the flavors in my mouth were like nothing else I had ever tasted that was onion flavored, but it was still completely onion. And I was just like staring at him. I'm sure my eyes were just like wide open, like, oh my God. And so I started to take another bite and Raymond was like, what are you doing? That's for dinner. And he grabbed it out of my hand.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> so that onion basically led us eventually to me working for the urban farm
0: well there you go so okay it was there and now it's gone
1: (laughs) so raymond what did you think when i was taking eating that onion
0: i was
2: so pleased because i knew the flavor of a homegrown onion fresh from the garden that had not excuse me that had not had time to dehydrate and bring the acids that you normally get from an onion Mm. that is the big difference when it's fresh you don't have that strong burn your eyes, terrible taste in your mouth. It is just totally different. And it's wonderful.
1: I'm so excited. Wow. I have onions growing in my garden right now. I'm looking forward to that again. Mm-hmm.
0: So, so, and this goes to the quality of nutrition that you're giving your onions and all your plants, right? Absolutely. Raymond?
1: Raymond's been an organic gardener for as long as I've known him. Wow. Yeah. You know, and he very, very much cared about the what was going into his plants. There was a lot of love growing into his stuff. There's a question right now from Gene. Hi, Gene. We know you. Should you stop foliar feeding and how many days before eating when growing greens? Raymond, you want to try this?
2: Generally, what I do is I will stop foliar feeding whatever I'm going to harvest three to four days in advance, which is, to me, adequate because it's all organic anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, I will always wash off whatever produce I bring into the house before I serve it to my family.
0: Oh man, I just eat the dirt.
1: <laughs> <laughs> if you are using the products we recommend, then yes, you are using organic products, and mm-hmm. that does allow you to be able to go up to the to three or four days ahead of time. Anything after that, you might be tasting it, but it's not you know that can hurt, hurt you. Can hurt you, right? So, Raymond, what do you do? when you have your differing, so you have plants in some containers and you're moving from one container to another. Tell us what you do with that.
2: Really, it depends on on the plant. I I took a course from the urban farm called Growing Food Basics by Kari Spencer, was the primary instructor. And one of the things that I thought was so cool and such a very good idea was when you plant tomatoes, of course, you, you when you plant tomatoes, you take all the leaves off the, the stem except for the top two to three sets of leaves, and then you plant it all the way down because all those little hairs turn into roots. But what Kari suggested was put a few alfalfa pellets in there for the mm. nitrogen, a little bit of eggshell or eggshell powder for the calcium, and a bit of banana peel. And I dehydrated mine and ground it up and. that in the hole for the potassium, and then filled it back in, and watered it in with the uh, the heart and essence to fill that that space. Works out really well. Um, I also added a little bit of mycorrhiza at the at the base of the the hole,
0: Mm -hmm. just just to help uh, get that extra start. I love. Oh my gosh, what is mycorrhiza? Oh, don't know. Mycorrhizae is a
2: beneficial fungus that has a symbiotic relationship uh, with the root of a plant. What it does, it it really kind of attaches to the the root of the plant, extends the the length of the root and perhaps the thickness as well. It allows the plant to draw in more moisture, more nutrients. In turn, the plant feeds the, the fungus with the sugars out of the roots and so on and so forth. So That's the symbiotic stuff. And having that mycorrhizae in the soil just totally increases the nutrient uptake to your plants. And that's whenever you're you're side dressing your tomatoes or your cauliflowers or your broccolis or whatever, it it just helps bring all that nutrition into the plant and makes it it taste better, makes it better, makes it uh,
0: withstand the temperatures and whatever conditions better. Right. So I had something happen a few years ago, and this goes to the taste. I grow Cara Cara navels. They're a pink navel here at the Urban Farm, and they're super sweet. And so right right after we got Kismet, our dog, four years ago, Tony, our dog trainer, she was here training me, and I handed her a bag. I've known Tony for years. I handed her a bag of Cara Cara navels off of my tree in the front yard. And she drove off, and couldn't have been more than 15 minutes later she calls me and she says oh my gosh greg what are these i said they're car car nibbles she said no they're not they don't taste like anything that i get at the store cuz okay. you know you can go to trader joe's and get car car nibbles and she said they don't taste like what i get in the store and i said exactly I said exactly when we're nurturing our plants feeding them right the food is going to taste better
2: i agree Janice will agree too with the onion for
0: sure. Nah. <laughs> all right. Yes. Uh, any 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 final thoughts, Miss uh, Miss Janice or Raymond?
1: You know, thinking outside of the box, Raymond. One of the things I really appreciate is your willingness to do the cooperative gardening that we do. Mm-hmm. Because not only do you have all of those boxes over at your house, you also have the boxes at my house. Actually, I should point that way. And I think it's fun the way we share. It's just, just that and I would recommend for anybody who out there who might be struggling a little bit in um, maybe feeling a little overwhelmed, there's a lot of work, find a partner, find somebody nearby who, who can maybe help you with some of the, the heavy chores. The two of you could do the heavy chores together, and then you can enjoy your gardening and share seeds, share fruit, share tidbits and tips, and then you can help them when they're doing their stuff. And it makes the work fun, enjoyable, rewarding. Delicious, cooperative.
2: Yeah, one of the, one of the uh, things that uh, I do uh, as well is there are several gardening groups available online, whether it's meetups or master gardeners or other Facebook. people from Urban Farm, because the Urban Farm has people all over, not just all over Maricopa County where we live, but all over the state and country and in other countries. And you know, if you can connect with other gardeners and share their, you know, your experiences with them, and, and likewise, you can pick up a wealth of knowledge that way without having to make those mistakes yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I uh, that. Uh, no mistakes, learning opportunities.
0: I'm sorry. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, thank you both for joining us tonight. Oh, yes, and Ms. Janice.
1: I'm going to go look up for exactly what we're doing here, because Mycorrhiza is spelled, Bill and Dahlia have their question on this one, mycorrhiza is actually a multiple fungi. You can spell it M-Y-C-O-R-R-H-I-Z-A-E, mycorrhiza. But when you're asking for it, it's sometimes it's easier just to spell it M-Y-C-O and say myco.
0: And we have it available in our shopping cart if you want to
1: yeah, support the Urban Farm. If you'd like to get some, go to store.urbanfarm.org, type in M-Y-C-O in the search bar and you'll find our Myco.
0: And, well, you know, thank you for bringing that up, Ms. Janice. Support the Urban Farm. Don't we have a page for that on our website?
1: Yeah, please help us. We really could use your, your kudos, your your support, in so many different ways. We've got lots of options how you can do that. Just go to urbanfarm.org slash support us. We're trying to grow our business. We're trying to reach out there to help more people, and you're, there's different ways you can do that to help us. Even just a kudos on um, your favorite search engine if you find us, and you can give us a little stars and make a comment. We help. Yeah. We appreciate that a lot.
0: I'm actually so for everybody on the call. We've got over 20 people on the call tonight. For everybody on the call, I'm going to ask. I'm going to put this in the chat room. In the chat room, I'm going to ask that you go do this. If you enjoyed tonight, just go give us a rating on Google. There's yeah. the, There it is in the chat room. A box will pop up and it'll ask for stars. You know, how many stars was this worth to you? And, you know, there's a place to share anything else that you would like to share. We really appreciate that support for sure. Um, and then if you want a donation, there's a place to make a donation for all of our great work as well. Yes, Janice. Uh,
1: just for a recap. What we have talked about tonight, Raymond talked about wicking beds and G-B-O- GBIOTA beds. Is that G-B-I-O-T-T-A, right, Raymond?
2: I believe that's to be true.
1: And some troughs and, and some gardening beds. Some of the products we talked about tonight were the our, our liquid amendments that we fully endorse from a company called High Creations. The products that we have are also available on on our store. That would be Essence, which is our kelp emulsion. Uh, Noble Gills, which is our fish waste fertilizer. Heart, which is our humic acid, great for the soil. And Soul, which is our folic acid, which helps communicate to the plants to get ready to intake more stuff. And then we also talked about Myco, which is short for mycorrhiza, the beneficial organisms that connect and attach to the roots and basically extend the feeding ability of roots. So sometimes when you open up a section of soil and you see that white stuff in there, you got myco, that white spidery web stuff. It's good stuff, don't take it away.
0: We have a let's see, there's a quick question here. I thought you used myco only for tree planting. You said you used it as a side dressing too. It's cold here now, I'm winterizing. Can you use it as a side dress in trees in the fall? i probably, well, good question. What about in cold climates using it now, Raymond? Any thoughts on that?
2: You know, I don't use it as a side dressing because once you have it and it attaches to a live root, it will stay there. If there's no live root, it won't live because there's mm-hmm. nothing to draw energy oh. from. So when you're planting, trees, shrubs, vegetables, transplants, it's a good idea to use it because it, it only a benefit. There you go.
1: We actually recommend in our nutrition program, in our fruit tree education program, that myco is a really great thing to put in the ground when you're planting your trees. So obviously with your, your um, garden bed, the same thing, but you don't really need it if once you have it because it will create its own colony. Unless your tree or your plant is really struggling and then maybe they could benefit from a little extra myco to help them be increase their intake of good stuff. Cool. Brand new or struggling. It's the only time you really need Raymond, Sorry, Raymond. What do you side dress with just to make sure that that's clear?
2: You know, a side dressing, basically what side dressing is, is fertilization away from the the stock of the plant. Just when you're, Fertilizing trees, you're fertilizing out at the drip line. When you're fertilizing things like tomatoes and, and so on, you're generally going three to five inches away from the root or the stalk of the plant and putting a, a three or four inch line of fertilizer.
1: So uh, basically that's for the, the roots that are growing out.
2: Correct. Because you know, if you're if you're putting that fertilizer in in, you know, alongside the uh the the stalk of the plant few inches away and you water down, that's how the the uh, nutrition is going to get to the roots of the plant to get to the fruit of the plant.
0: Awesome. Nice. Nice. Thank you, Dahlia. Rated us on Google while we were Aww. on. Here. I think that was I think that was Dahlia. Let me just uh
1: thank you. Yeah, Raymond, I am so glad that you were able to join us for our garden chat and for helping us extend this brand new concept that we have. We're going to continue with this concept next year. So folks, if you have ideas about what you would like to talk to us about, what topics we should put in our garden chat, I'm making the calendar for next year right now. Oh, so well. go ahead and send any ideas for our garden chats, our tree chats, or seed chats too, to Janice J-A-N-I-S, at urbanfarm.org. I'm trying to make sure that we got your interests covered.
0: All right. Well, please, the, the the link for Google is right there in the chat. If you can do that when you get off, we would greatly appreciate it. And uh, we will catch you on the flip side. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Raymond.
0: Thanks, Raymond. you welcome. It's been fun.
1: We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org.